Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Good morning. Will you please stand with me as we read our teaching text today? Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them, that the good news about, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he, prayed, or when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Lord, thank you for this day and this opportunity to be here in community with you. We ask that you fill this space and open our eyes and open our hearts and our ears so that we may be filled with you as we listen to your word. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Adrian. Y'all can have seats. Well, I've got a pretty simple message today, something I'm excited about. Uh, I want to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart, something I really love. And that's Weird Al Yankovic, and why you should care about Weird Al as well. Now, I thought of that at 4.30 this morning, and it felt like a great idea, just a little levity. Uh, if you've not seen the Weird Al's movie, UHF, filmed in the city of Tulsa 30 years ago, a real classic, watch that. We are going to talk about something dear to my heart, and uh, it's not Weird Al Yankovic, though I do love Weird Al. Um, we're going to talk about something um, that I think could change the culture of our church, uh, the message today is, if, if you see something, say something. So turn to the person next to you and say, if you see something, say something. That was very unenthusiastic. <laughs> what we're talking about today is creating a culture of encouragement. A culture of encouragement. Uh, last week we heard from my friend Jason Jackson, and it was, it was serendipitous, and it was, it was just like the benevolence of God that we had already scheduled for Jason to come and preach uh, some of you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Emily had been almost 15 weeks pregnant, and we lost our baby, and uh, a big shock to us, and, uh, you know, today, talking about a culture of encouragement, man, you guys were awesome. Uh, we got so many cards and texts and emails and flowers and games for our kids, and even just this morning, people who said we're praying, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I hope, like I know that we're not the only people who go through stuff and have been through stuff in our church. I hope that when we see each other go through the stuff of life like this, that we always respond like that. So thank, from Emily and me, thank you so much. 
So Jason was here, and he was helping us in this transition from the study of the Gospels where we had been since the end of August to talking about the role of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. And Jason kind of went through uh, these, these teaching points in Acts chapter 2, how the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival, and how the Spirit parallels the law in the Old Testament. You remember we talked about Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers early in this year, and how God had given through Moses, the people of Israel, this, these commands that would help them to live differently. They would be a peculiar people in the world. Great. The only difficulty was they couldn't do it. They couldn't uphold the law. They were perennially going back to idols. They were breaking the law. They were grieving the heart of God. There was injustice in their land. And the prophets foretold that God would, would send His Spirit and write His law on their hearts, take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So Jason talked about how the Spirit paralleled the law in the Old Testament, how the Spirit empowers us to live differently so the people who know and love Jesus, who are walking and keeping in step with the Spirit, we should look different. We should smell different. We should have a little edge to us that doesn't feel like everybody else. Jason talked about how the Spirit unites us and empowers us to cultivate unity. This was totally true and and easy to be seen in the early church. He had rich and poor worshiping together. You had Jew and Gentile worshiping together, people who were in different socioeconomic classes united under the banner of Jesus Christ. And similarly, as I referenced earlier today, we're in solidarity with everyone who loves Jesus all around the world. We are on the same team. We are not in competition. The Coptic Christians in Egypt, those are, those are my brother and my sister. We are family with God, family in God with everyone around the world who loves Jesus. The Spirit unites us. Jason talked about how the Spirit empowers us to witness to the resurrection. We'll talk about how the church did that in in, uh, Acts 2 through 11. And then finally, we talked about how the Spirit empowers us all. On the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and preached, and he quoted the prophet Joel. How in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit. It's not just for the Moses types or the Deborah types in the Old Testament, for the elect, the super believer, that the Spirit of God was a promise for everybody who followed Jesus, everybody without class or gender distinction. The message is for you and your children, for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for everybody. And hopefully, you've been thumbing through uh, the book of Acts as we've done this last week, and hopefully, you've been able to see how the church started living this stuff out, how they started to walk in the power of the Spirit and do the kind of stuff that Jesus did. They lived and they walked in unity. They were sharing meals together. They shared homes together. They shared common possessions. Today, I'm going to talk about Barnabas. The first time we meet Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4. Barnabas uh, has a field that he sells, and he lays the proceeds of it at the feet of the disciples. They're walking in the power of the Spirit. Uh, Peter and John one day are going into the temple to worship, and there's a lame beggar. He's asking them for money, and they look him in the face. They say, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk, and he does it. And he starts dancing all over the place. It causes a commotion. They're put on trial in front of the people, and they said, in what name did you do this? Say, in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father now, and he sent his spirit. And the people were freaked out because they spoke with the same authority that Jesus had spoken with. 
The religious elite believed that the Jesus movement was going to die out with his crucifixion, and yet they were all believing and behaving as if he was actually raised from the dead because he was. And when the Spirit descended, there was a transformation in the lives of these men and women. How those people who had deserted him and denied him, they were apostates, became apostles and walked in authority. And the religious elite just lose it. And the things really culminate when Stephen, who was a deacon, who was in charge of distributing food to the widows in the church, uh, testifies before them. He gives a, a gospel presentation, and they go berserk, and they stone him to death. And the people who've been lobbing stones at them took off their cloaks and laid them at the feet of a man named Saul, who became Paul, who approved of their killing him. And it had intended to squash out this movement, this Jesus movement, but it had the opposite effect. That as the church began to be persecuted, they scattered and they spread. They went to places like Phoenicia, which is in northern Israel in the present-day country of Lebanon. They hopped on boats and went up to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, just there in the northeastern Mediterranean. And some of them even went up to Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. They did this to squash the church, but the church only multiplied and grew and was sent out. Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. And then it began to happen. They tried to squash it out, but it only grew. That's what happened in the 16th century. Do you remember in your like freshman year humanities class or maybe like a European history class in high school learning about Queen Bloody Mary? Bloody Mary was trying to, to kill the English Reformation. And so she took people like Thomas Cranmer, who had written this book of worship so that the people could worship in their heart language and not in Latin and try to get the Bible in the churches, uh, arrested him, put him on trial and burned him at the stake. But the gospel only continued to multiply. It had the opposite effect. This is what the church father Tertullian said. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Something spectacular started to happen as the gospel spread north and west, especially when it got to Antioch. You see, in every community, the, the disciples, all of them unnamed, these unnamed missionaries were sharing the gospel everywhere they went. But they especially went to Jewish synagogues. Well, something different happens in Antioch. They, make, they take that relational, cultural, religious risk, and they start to share the gospel with Greek-speaking Gentiles, which was like confounded many of their imagination. You think, I wonder if this is going to work. And this is what the text tells us in verse 21. As they did this, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And as we're going to talk about, the church in Antioch became a missionary church and a prophetic church. You'll know the area where Antioch is because it's been in the news a lot in the last couple of weeks. Because it's in modern-day Turkey, and it's where Turkey is deploying troops to go out and take life in Syria, going after the Kurds in northwestern Syria. Right now, it's a place where they're sending out people to take life, but it was once a place where the church sent out missionaries to spread the life of Jesus. We pray in places like that that it may be so again in our lifetime. The gospel spreads. These Gentile believers, come to, they come to accept the good news about Jesus. And word spreads to the church in Jerusalem. And you know what they do? The church in Jerusalem, seeing these, these Gentile believers who don't have presumably much of an Old Testament background, they don't know the promises of God beginning with Abraham's family and extending beyond to creation, 
They, they are, they're probably concerned, how are they going to do as a minority movement, this, this fledgling little body in a majority culture that's going to be hostile to the gospel? Church leaders got together and said, you know what they need right now? They need an encourager. And so they sent Barnabas. Barnabas is an Aramaic name that means son of encouragement. And Barnabas makes his way to Antioch, and when he arrives there, I want you to pay attention to what he does. In fact, if you have a Bible, grab, grab it in front of you, page 1568, because I want you to see this is just right from the text. I want you to see what Barnabas does when he gets to the church in Antioch. Uh, beginning at verse 23, it says, When Barnabas arrived in Antioch and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas arrives in Antioch, and it says he saw what the grace of God had done. Now, he's a low-ego dude. He walks in, and he knows, I can't claim any credit for what's happening. I didn't start this church. I didn't send these missionaries. Look what God is doing. And it just fills him with joy because he's got eyes to see it. Barnabas is a guy who has the, the eyes of his heart, his spiritual eyes open, looking for the thing that God is doing in the world. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Barnabas has his eyes wide open, paying attention to, okay, what is the Father doing right here? How could the grace of God be at work? Now, a critic would walk into the church in Antioch and think, these immature Antioch believers, they're not doing this or that right. They got a long way to go. A cynic might walk in and think they're not going to make it through persecution. It's not going to happen. But Barnabas walks in and sees what God has done. Know that the work that's happening here is of divine origin. And how does he feel about it? He's glad. It makes him happy. He's delighted. You know who some of the least happy, enthusiastic people are about a new church starting in a community? Other churches. Now, thanks be to God, this has not happened to us very much, but it has happened to many, many friends of mine who are church planters, that the greatest threats, the greatest like, discouragement they'll get from people is from existing churches who, in their insecurity, will feel threatened and will like, push back. They feel like, well, you're, you're stealing my sheep. You're stealing the people who should be in my pews, as if our, churches and our city isn't already full of people who still need to know the gospel. I heard this awesome story about one of my uh, pastor heroes, John Tyson. Fifteen years ago, he moved to New York to plant a church, something that tons of people do, and most of those churches fail. So if you're an existing pastor of a church in New York and you see one more young punk coming thinking they're the one that's going to change the way New York sees Jesus, you probably like shrug them off. So Tyson one day ends up in a conversation with Timothy Keller, who was the, was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian. You've probably, many of you have probably read his books or listened to his sermons, brilliant dude. And Tyson and Keller are sitting there together, and Tyson is telling him, here's what we feel like God has called us to do. And Keller goes, gosh, thank you, Father. You keep sending them. You keep sending church planters. That's a Barnabas attitude. He saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad about it. He was happy. And having seen it and having felt joy in his heart, what did he do? He encouraged them. The Greek word for encourage here is a compound word called parakaleo. Para means alongside, to come alongside. 
Kaleo means to call out or to name. Put it together, and it becomes to, to come alongside and call out or name, or to draw near and to speak into the life of another person. Uh, parakaleo is, is a word that can be used differently in different contexts. In fact, when you read the English New Testament, it can be used like 12 different ways at least. They talk about it as comfort. Uh, Parakaleo is to encourage, to embrace, to beseech, to appeal, to implore, to exhort, to entreat. And generally, this term parakaleo is used in one of two general terms. One of them is like exhortation. It's coming alongside a person and say, bro, you got to get your act together. It's, it's speaking, it's like challenging a person to live into their strength. It's exhortation. It's like it's, it's pushing them. The other sense of, of parakaleo is encouragement or comfort. And both of those words literally mean like to put courage in somebody else. Uh, the, 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 word, uh, the, the word origin for comfort is like with strength. I'm comforting you. It's like I'm coming alongside you, and I'm loaning you strength. And this is exactly what Barnabas is doing. He, in his very person, in his identity, has a ministry of encouragement. Barnabas is the guy that you want on the team when things are stressed. He's the guy on the team when things are very much in development. The church in Jerusalem knew what this fledgling congregation in Antioch most needs is an encourager. Barnabas saw what God was doing, He was glad about it, and he encouraged them. Now, here's the idea, and I think you're going to relate to this. We live in an encouragement-starved world. You have no idea just how fragile the people to your left and right in this room are. You have no idea, though they may look put together, though they may look confident, though they may look successful, though they may seem like a person, oh, we don't need to worry about them. They're okay. You have no idea just how fragile on the inside the person to your left or your right in this room are, or the person who you share a cubicle wall with, or the people you see when you're dropping your kids off at school. You have no idea how fragile they are. We live in an encouragement-starved world. Uh, like 15, 16 years ago when I was a college student, I worked at New Life Ranch in the summers. I know there's some New Life Ranch people here. And in the afternoons, we'd play some kind of all-camp game, so like soccer or ultimate frisbee or the one with the pole and the stick, the like square thing, flicker. And uh, some of my dear friends, my great friends who are terrible human beings like Ben Beswick and Justin Metcalf decided they were going to use their physical prowess to shame the other campers. And so they started this thing called the I-Factor, where they wore these I-Factor t-shirts. The I stood for intimidation. And they found their sense of self in life by going on the field every afternoon and shaming these campers who are lesser athletes than them. And I'm, li- and I'm sharing their names because they're probably going to listen, and we're good enough friends, I can pull it off. <laughs> well, partially because I'm not a great athlete, and partially because I kind of like being the devil's advocate, in response to the I-Factor, I started the E-Factor which was the encouragement factor. And we'd go around and just cheer on everyone who was just like bombing in sports. The encouragement really generally didn't help, but it felt good. That's kind of life. Like in life, we feel like we're in competition with other people, and it is intimidating. We feel like I'm not going to measure up to their house, their car, their job, their family, their, their accomplishments. 
feeling I'm not measuring up in looks. I mean, basically pick a category to evaluate how you're doing, and you probably feel a degree of intimidation with other people. We are fragile creatures living in an encouragement-starved world. So the scriptures this morning and the model of Barnabas, I think, are calling for us to be what I hope to be a distinctive of our congregation, but what I think should be a distinctive of everybody who loves Jesus. That in the church in Antioch, something unique was happening. It was that they had cultivated a culture of encouragement. You see, the world is friendly to unhealthy like, expressions of life. The world is completely uh, like, okay with our regression, but the world is very hostile toward our, our steps toward health and maturity. Our ideas and our longings for the person that we so want to become, that's a really fragile desire that can be easily squashed by intimidation or by discouragement. And so how do we foster this kind of growth toward health and maturity? By cultivating among the people of God a culture of encouragement. How do you do it? How do you encourage another person? Here's the principle. You've already said the words. If you see something, say something. If you see something, man, God's doing something in their life. You see their growth. You see their joy. You see how amidst suffering, they are slogging it out and choosing to trust. Man, if you see God at work in the life of another person, say something. Tell them. They need to hear it. And why do they need to hear it? Because you think when you look at them that they've generally got it together. But we are often the least aware of the good things that are happening in our lives, and we need other people to say, hey, I just want to tell you, I see it, I affirm it, I confirm God's doing a thing in you, and I'm really grateful to God that he's doing it. We're often the least aware of the ways in which God is at work in our lives, the ways in which we're bringing something positive to the table. I will tell you, as I started sharing uh, two years ago, two plus years ago, dreams of church planting with people, that was a very vulnerable thing to do. And people, if people had been like, yeah, you might need a couple more years to sit on that one, John. We're like, why don't we leave that to the adults, the big, the big kids? Like there could have been any number of polite but subtle ways that people crushed what was a nascent desire and calling from God to start a church. But thanks be to God, like I had people around me who said, you're not crazy. And if you are, we're the same kind of crazy as you and we should do this together. Were it not for the encouragement of people around me, this thing would have never happened. You would have never executed on that idea or dream you had were it not for the encouragement of people around you. We are starved for encouragement. So if you see something in the life of somebody else, say something, point it out. God often uses the words and the confirmation of other people to like solidify and crystallize his work in us so that we can walk forward in confidence. Now, encouragement is different than flattery. Flattery is less about trying to make the other person feel good and more about trying to get the other person to like us. We lay the flattery on thick when we're, when like we're subconsciously manipulating them to view us favorably. One of my favorite movies of all time, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, he makes this, Steve makes this decision to bring along a protege on a trip, and he tells his wife, I believe in this kid. And she says, why? Because he looks up to me. That's flattery, which is very different than encouragement. I see the work of God in you, 
and I'm going to tell you about it. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals these 10 lepers. And after he heals them, he says, go to the temple, make the appropriate sacrifice to the priest, and then you're good to go. Ten of them are healed, ten go to the temple, but only one of them returns to Jesus just to say thank you. Jesus says, weren't there nine others? I think that one in ten ratio is actually pretty optimistic of the people who come back to say thank you and the people who take the, like the, the proactive energy to encourage. I think it's more like one in ten or one in twenty. Most of us think positive things about other people, but we shelf it. We think, I don't, want to get the, I don't want to give them a big head and they probably already know it. They might not. If you see something, say something. I long for one of the things that, that's true about our church to be that we have a culture of encouragement where we see the best in each other because we're calling out the best in each other where those like possibilities and the potential within us is incubated in this community because we speak life into it. I remember being an elementary school kid and we had to take home a plant and there was this hypothesis that if you spoke to the plant, it would grow better. It's like they're taking in the carbon dioxide that we put out. Man, there's a principle that's true there for each other that we kind of live into the words that we speak over each other. So if you see something in somebody else, say something about it. Now, there's some good ways to encourage. Uh, a good way to encourage is if you see something in somebody else, to send them a text message and say, hey, man, you're doing great. I see Jesus in you. Thank you. A good way is to like, send them a Facebook message. To like, It's good to just think about it and have, begin having your radar on. But there's some great ways to encourage. And, and one of the principles I want to share in being a good encourager is to make it physical. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean like PDA, like be way too physical, you know, don't be creepy. I mean, what I mean by this is this, like I, we, all, we all get a ton of text messages in a given day, Facebook messages, emails. I lose them and almost every email or text I start begins with, forgive me for my delayed reply. <laughs> text messages are like a dime by the hundreds or thousands. So you send me an encouraging text, thank you, but it's gone and I'm gonna forget. And there are days where I need to remember so if you want, to, you want to be a really good encourager, take a piece of paper. When you see the work of God in somebody else, write it down in your handwriting and put it in the mailbox and send it to them or put it in their hand. There's going to come, they're going to pour over those words one, two, three, four, five times. They're going to like, if, if it comes from me, they're like, what on earth was he trying to say? This is terrible handwriting. And it's different in every sentence. but it's in my hand. I mean, he took the time to write this down. Maybe it's true. Maybe what he said God's doing in me or he sees in me that's virtuous or good, man, maybe that's true. Or if you're going to speak like words of encouragement to, to, like, to somebody else, where did Terry and Marsha go? Other stinkers, I was going to pick them earlier. Terry and Marsha sat right here. They are in their 70s, and they are by far the youngest people in our church. Terry and Marcia sit right here. They come to prayer every week, and they are the most joyful, like, vibrant people I know. And, like, I, I, I am thankful to God. So here's what I was going to do. Terry, yes. Hey, Terry, will you come here real quick? So if you're going to... Sorry about that. You didn't hear anything I said. That was just totally fine. If you're going to encourage somebody and do it, great. Put a hand on them because it amplifies the message. I just told Terry, I just told them, you and Marsha 
I think, are the youngest people in our church. <laughs> You're fooling a lot you, of people. Yeah. No, Terry, Terry, you and Marcia have radiate such joy and life and openness to the Holy Spirit that it gives me so much strength and encouragement, and I wanted you to know that. Well, we love you. Thank you. So thank you. Yeah, we love you, too. Man, put your hand on somebody, not in a creepy way, but like it amplifies the message. I know Chelsea, okay. It amplifies the message. It embodies it. This is totally what Paul did when he was writing to pastors like Timothy and Titus, okay? Uh, Timothy is a young pastor in Ephesus. He's, he's like, his family comes from a, a Christian family, but he's a young leader like me trying to figure it out. And so Paul takes the time in his own hand to write a letter to Timothy, Listen to how this just oozes encouragement, see something, say something, as we've talked about it. To Timothy, my dear son, even just hear the affirmation and the identification there. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's using his words to bless this young pastor. They are words of life. Every good thing that God has to offer, speak over you. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. You're Timothy getting this letter. Paul is thanking God for me. Paul is praying for me night and day. He's got a ton of other people that know him and are trying to get his attention. He's praying for me. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. He has just blessed three generations of this family. There's sincere faith in you. God's been at work for generations. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, the gift of God is in you. The Spirit's in you. I believe in you. Run with it. He is just oozing encouragement. He's seeing something and saying something about this young pastor. The people who have God's spirit should be the most encouraging people in the world because being an encourager is in the nature of the spirit of God. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples in John 14. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper. Bookmark that word helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he dwells in you, with you. He'll be in you. And the helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name, will teach you all of the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This word that's translated helper is parakletos. What's the word for encouragement? Parakaleo. God, the Holy Spirit of God is identified as the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the encourager. Just as Barnabas was an, and gave encouragement to the church in Antioch, like, so the Spirit of God is the spirit of encouragement, the one who comes alongside us to speak into our lives. God has sent the Spirit to, to the church and to the individuals who believe in Jesus, who trusted in Jesus, to be our inner encourager, who reminds us of the words of Jesus, who reminds us who we are, whose we are, what's true of us, to foster and encourage and to fertilize the seeds of the kingdom of God that have been planted in each of our hearts. This is the nature of the work of the Spirit of God. When we see something of God's hand in the life of another person and we say something about it, we're joining in the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Now listen, is this just a pansy conversation about how we should all be nicer to each other? Is this just like a, like, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all kind of thing? Like, church people should be nice, which connotes, like, impotency to me in a lot of times. No. This is not a be nice to each other conversation. This is a high stakes conversation. Did you notice the thing that happened at the very end of the text? How uh, it says Barnabas left the church at Antioch and he went and he found Saul. Saul, at whose feet the people who stoned Stephen laid their garments, Saul, who approved of their killing him, had had a massive conversion experience and met Jesus. Went to the church in Jerusalem and they were freaked out because he was trying to kill everybody who loved Jesus. Barnabas seeks out Saul. He says, you know what Saul most needs right now? Encouragers. He needs to be incubated in a culture of encouragement. And so Barnabas leaves the church, finds Saul, and brings him back. And for his first couple of years, there he incubates in a culture of encouragement. What if Barnabas hadn't? What if Barnabas hadn't gone to Antioch? What if Barnabas hadn't left Antioch to go and get Saul? We're like all back to the futuring out our Bible. Most of the New Testament disappears. Think of all of the churches that disappear. Think of all the believers that disappear. God's church was going to go forward, but look how powerfully he worked through Saul, became known as Paul, because the church sent an encourager into his life. If you don't see things and, and say something about the work of God in the life of the people around you, what songs will go unwritten? What, what work will go undone? What marriages will fizzle out? What discouragement will take root and people live in mediocrity? This is a high-stakes conversation. So if you see something, if you see the Spirit of God at work in the life of another person, say something about it. Speak it into existence. Help them to see what you see and incubate that, that nascent potential in a community of encouragement. And join in the divine activity of God as you do the same. I love how Paul ends Romans chapter 15. He says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us a spirit of unity among ourselves as we follow Christ so that together with one heart and one mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who gives endurance and encouragement invites us to be a community who endures together, who speaks life and encouragement into each other, and in doing so may glorify and delight the heart of God our Father. Let's pray together. I feel really confident that in this room there are people who, uh, you've got, you are great friends with your inner critic. And there are people in this room, words have been spoken to you and about you that are on loop in your brain. And they are not the words that reflect the heart of God the Father. They are words of accusation and words of condemnation, words of not enough, words of blame. Maybe you've trusted in Jesus, but you have this loop in your mind of the sins that you've done in the past that you feel like disqualify you. And I want to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, those are lies. And there's a truer story being told about you in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you're a child of God, beloved of God. He is especially fond of you. So hear the truth. May the truth of Jesus Christ set you free. All of us this morning need the reminder of who we are. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. That you'd come in power. That you'd speak. That you'd direct that you'd remind us of what's true of us in Jesus Christ, that you'd cast out the lies of the enemy and may your light drive out darkness. Come, Lord Jesus, come, speak. As we gather around the table, which tells us a truer word of who we are because of what you've done for us, may this truth penetrate every part of our being, permeate us, that in our mind, in our hearts, we be renewed to see ourselves and therefore to live out of this identity of the beloved. Come, Lord Jesus.